Part of the, there we go, part of the negative component about wearing a robe is you can't see whether the thing's on or not. And so you, you kind of have to, sorry, I apologize. It's on, it's off, you never know. Um, thank you guys, that was so encouraging and worshipful. I, yeah, I think certainly God was honored uh, and adored. We're continuing in our series of the book of Ephesians this morning. We took a break from it last week as one of our loved ones, our missionaries, John Parrott, was with us. And so we're back here in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. God's peace granted through His grace that brings about unity. God's peace granted uh, through His grace that brings about unity. That's the book of Ephesians in a nutshell, uh, if you will. And yet, uh, that statement alone, God's peace, uh, through His grace that brings about unity, that's not the world that we live in. I think we all probably could agree, and especially as we come to a passage like Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, we live in a society that is ravenously feeding and promoting hostility. You don't have to look very far, uh, whether you're a news watcher or whether you attend sporting events or whether you, um, it, it doesn't matter. There is hostility everywhere. Everywhere around us today seems to be some version of hostility, and the beauty is that Paul draws attention to it to the church in Ephesus, and I think to us as well this morning. He's calling us to remember our redeemed past in order to be a part of a peaceful future. Uh, it's a good way of summarizing uh, this passage, I think. Uh, if you are able and if you're willing, we've started a little bit of a new tradition to stand uh, as we read God's Word. I'd invite you to stand as we read uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11. This is God's Word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once you who were you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord." In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, thank you for these words, Father so deep and and so rich and so powerful, we believe that Your Word as written in this Holy Scripture and as made flesh through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and as pressed in on our spirit, as Tim and Wendy and Stephanie just sang, We believe that You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have the power to change our lives. To make us different. To make us more like You, Jesus. Would You do that for us this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anyone been hostile towards you lately? Think about that uh, with me for just a minute. Has anyone been uh, angry at you? Uh, So much so that it's uh, caused their disposition or their demeanor to change? Uh, Has someone even spoken uh, words of uh, hostility, words of anger, words of hatred uh, toward you? Do you remember what that feels like? It's so, it's so painful. It, 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 it causes us to retract back even sometimes. It causes us to feel deeply the wounds and the hurts of those uh, that would be so frustrated, that would be so hostile. And for, and for what? Why? Why? All too often our hearts retreat to the place of injustice when someone is hostile towards us. Like, we don't deserve this. I don't deserve this kind of treatment. And the person who oftentimes issues the hostility feels justified, don't they? Like, I, I, I am right in doing and saying and acting Uh, the way that I am. That's just one half of the equation though, isn't it? That's just the felt hostility towards you from another. But have you been hostile towards anyone? Have you been 
angry or vengeful or bitter or wrath-filled so much so that it changes your disposition and the way you act and the way you speak and the way you think towards another image-bearer of Christ? Why? Are you justified? I think Paul, what Paul is doing in this, uh, this, this second half of chapter 2 is he's trying to use our own scenario, our own lives. He's trying to t- get the Jews and the Gentiles to think about their own lives as a case study, as an example, to be able to say to them, think before you act. Or maybe even ask the Lord to help you change. Because there is this thing that we all struggle with um, and we all act upon all too often called um, hostility. I want us to see three things in these verses here. Uh, The first is the pain of hostility. Uh, The second is the end of hostility. Uh, And the third is the new build of peace. First, uh, Paul wants us to look into this pain of hostility. If you look with me in verses 11 uh, through 17, there's a history uh, to this hostility. And I I mentioned it just a minute ago. If we're going to understand this passage, then we've got to think through this passage like a first century Christian. And in the church of Ephesus, there would have been two groups of people in the church. There would have been Jews and there would have been Gentiles. And those those two would not have gotten along um, very well uh, for quite uh, some time uh, throughout their history. They didn't, uh, they didn't interact with one another favorably. Uh, and so the church literally consists of two polar opposite people groups. Uh, we could probably draw some analogies. I, I want to be careful with that because I don't want to be offensive. But y- y- imagine putting two polar opposite people groups in this church together who don't have anything to do with one another, who struggle to hear one another, who struggle to see one another, who struggle to validate one another, who struggle to find value in the other. Put them in here in this room together. How do you think it would go? And yet Paul calls especially the Gentiles. Paul calls especially the Gentiles to remember that hostility and its pain. So what about the pain of the past? Let's look into that for just a minute. The pain of the past. You can almost feel the tension in uh, Paul's words as he's bringing up this past hurt Uh, in this uh, past pain. Look at the words uh, that he uses in verses 11 through 17. Circumcision versus uncircumcision. The mark of God's people that he gave to Abraham, that which we just celebrated this morning in baptism, that mark placed, placed on Jews. The mark that was meant to be a mark of humility. A mark of humility that says, I I can't believe a holy God loves me as His people. Very quickly became what? Oh, you don't have the mark. 
You see that, right? That's what Paul's calling, he's calling out. It, it, it actually became a racial slur between the two. The circumcision versus the uncircumcision. Paul goes on to say, the separated, the alienated, the strangers without hope, banished from the presence of God. The outsiders, Paul says. You remember what that feels like. By the way, everyone in here is a Gentile, most likely. The outsiders, separated from God, no place in His presence, relegated to the lessers, the not included, and all the harsh words and harsh feelings and violence that came along with that. While Paul doesn't reference it here in Ephesians chapter 11, maybe there's even a stark, a, a, a more stark uh, example of the hostility in the temple, which he'll, which he'll come back to later in this passage. There was a five-foot wall, five-foot thick wall, okay, that divided the place of the Gentiles and the place of the Jews. So in other words, you couldn't go past this point to be in the presence of God, to worship God as a Gentile, if you weren't circumcised, if you weren't a Jew, there's hostility on both ends of the spectrum. And Paul says, remember that. Remember that. But why? What's behind the elitism and the exclusivism? Uh, what's behind uh, the name calling, if you will? Why so much hostility and division and hatred? Well, we don't have to go too far down the road before we, we're able to find the answer uh, to that question in uh, our own lives. Because apart from Christ, what reigns supreme? The self. Apart from Christ, the self reigns supreme. The sinful human nature to to, to, that attempts to establish self-worth and establish identity and, and establish our being on something. And whatever that thing is becomes our identity, which all too often leads to superiority. And whatever that thing that becomes our identity, which leads to superiority, often then leads to hostility when someone else doesn't have it. Right? You, I don't mean to be harsh or be ungracious, but you can think of these type things in your own life. We take the good things of God, the culture, the abilities, the talents, the intellects, the gifts. We pride ourselves on these things and we attach our sense of worth to them. And when we do, we inevitably look down on others who don't have those. It's part of being a human. It's part of being a sinner. I, I, I'm sitting this week studying... I, there are so many illustrations of this. I'm trying to think of one, like one, which one gets at this hostility the best, right? I was trying to think of the one and I couldn't. There are so many of us. Some of us are politically hostile. Some of us are sinfully 
politically hostile. Some of us, our nationalism makes us hostile towards all sorts of people. Some of us are racially hostile towards others uh, not like like us. Some of us uh, struggle with vehicular hostility. Don't we? In traffic, you can see the rage and the anger and the I'm not getting my way uh, come out. Some of us uh, struggle with parenting hostility towards our children or towards other parents and children who don't treat our children the way we think they should be treated. Children, some of you struggle with parental hostility. Your parents are trying to raise you in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and you don't get it and you don't like it and you don't want anything to do with it. And so you're hostile towards uh, your parents. Some of, us, some of us struggle with humility, hostility. What is humility, hostility? Some of us struggle with, you know, sorry, this thing must, I don't know what's going on. Some of us struggle with humility, hostility, so much so that when we see the pride and the arrogance in another, we think that. Even struggle with church hostility when things just aren't being done the way I think they should be done. Paul is calling the church to relive this dark pain, this past full of hostility, because he's about to remind us that God killed hostility. And he wants it eradicated from his kingdom and from his church. Let's look at that in verses 13 through 16, the end of hostility. You've got the pain of hostility, now the end of hostility. Paul wants the church to remember that Jesus' life and his death ultimately killed hostility. So the question is how? How does the killing of Jesus kill hostility? Look in verse 16 with me. We can understand verse 16 best when we look at it in conjunction with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You can look that up later. I'll read it to you now. God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, that's hostility, to become sin or hostility for us that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus becomes my violence. He becomes my gossiping. He becomes my exclusion, my condescension, my arrogance, my anger, my racism, my shame, my self-righteousness. Jesus became all things that I am and was and will 
B, He was condemned in my place. He became the place, the central place where God pours out all of His wrath and His anger and His hostility on sin in one place where it deserved to rest on my shoulders and where it deserved to rest on yours, God's righteous anger toward all of my hostility goes on to Jesus. So now, because of Christ, we now know peace. Finished. Paid for. Dead. Never to be seen on my record or yours again. But it's not just that Jesus' death kills hostility. Rather, His life does so as well. That's what Paul says in verse 15. Look with me, if you will. Jesus' life kills hostility because in His life, He abolished any sense of superiority. Think about that. In His life, He abolished any sense of superiority. That's what the Jews had done with God's law. Whether it be God's moral law, whether it be His civil law, whether it be His cleanliness laws, all through the book of Leviticus, all through the Old Testament, God gave His people laws by which the relationship would function between the two of them because He's holy and humanity is not. And Jesus, through His perfection and through His holiness and through His righteousness, comes to this earth and lives in the way that we're supposed to and don't. And in so doing, abolishes all of those laws. Does away with all of those laws and in so doing, kills the hostility between God and myself. God defines the relationship, how it's going to work, and Jesus was sacrificed to make it work. Through faith, you and I get to enjoy the sweet benefits and be changed into this beauty daily. Look around, look around this room. Our city, our state, uh, this world. Do you know what Paul's saying? <laughs> it's something that we so easily forget. I've myself found numerous times this week just left me. Paul is saying that all of us, Jew, Gentile, black, white, poor, rich, prostitute and pillar of the community, American, Middle Easterner, homosexual, heterosexual, we all are reconciled to God in the exact same way. That reconciliation only comes through Jesus dying on the cross for our record of hostility and killing it. Putting it to death through His life and His death. So this is the question of application for us this morning. If those things are true, and we believe those things to be true, what then does it communicate when we're hostile towards each other and to one another? If those things are true, And Jesus really has done this which is eternal and everlasting and life-changing. What does it communicate when we don't pursue peace? 
It's in the eternal truth of God's love through His Son Jesus that He calls us to be about killing the hostility just like He did. Through His love. And so He brings us to verses 18-22. through you got the pain of hostility. you got the, the death of hostility through Jesus. But Paul doesn't just do away with the bad. God isn't content to just do away with the bad. He wants to build something good as well. Something so much more glorious. And so look at verses 18-22. through 22. This, is the be- this is the beauty because... Paul is expounding for us something. I think it's, it's so encouraging because Paul doesn't say to the church, he doesn't say to the Ephesians, all right, now you still got this hostility struggle, go do this or go do that. No, Paul doesn't do that. What he says is, look, I know you're still struggling. I want you to be reminded of who you are. I want you to be reminded of who you are in Christ Jesus. Some of you have experienced this in our community. Whether it be new restaurants opening up, there's something about new buildings that gather us together, bring us together, and help us experience joy and communion, right? Whether that be restaurants, or whether that be new football seasons, or whether that, whatever the case may be, where believers gather together in the newness of building, and there's joy to be found. That's what Paul says. There are no boundaries to which this peace extends. This peace of God through Jesus is full access to the same Father. And so here's what it looks like. Here's what this reconciliation looks like. First, citizenship. That's so beautiful. Please try to understand all the beautiful nuances of what Paul's saying. Your identity is first and foremost a citizen in the kingdom of God. Your allegiance is to Christ with full rights and privileges of Christ. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. No superiority. No inferiority. Because of the life and the death of Jesus. He is the singular person that you belong to. Not this country. Not this denomination. Not this culture, not this race. You are no longer primarily defined by those things. Primarily. Your primary identity is in Christ as a citizen of the celestial city. And Paul says to the Ephesians, remember that. That's who you are. But you're not just citizens, you're also family. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. You are members of the household of God, which insinuates intimacy and closeness. Now, I understand that this is, be- this is beautiful, but this is also challenging at the same time. Because beautiful in the sense that for many of you, your idea of family is hard. Uh, you've been mistreated. You've been not loved. You've been abused. 
you maybe haven't felt intimacy and closeness and connection that family was, excuse me, meant to describe. And so it's, it's beautiful because now here this family is that you've got and that you can embrace, but it's also challenging because in this family we're united by blood, but vastly different from one another. Family should guarantee intimacy and closeness, but you know what that requires. <laughs> intimacy and closeness requires that we're humble. And that we listen to one another and that we learn from one another and that we're willing to say uh, we're sorry and we're wrong and please forgive me. And even in these challenges, there is the intimacy and closeness. So citizens and family and then maybe Paul just really boggles our mind theologically. But he says your citizens and your family And you now are the temple of God. The temple. When Jesus died on the cross, you remember, think back, when Jesus died on the cross, what was torn? The veil in the temple that separated man from God. And now there's full access, unholy to holy. Now through Jesus, God is proclaiming that His presence is with His people so closely and so intimately in Christ that the new temple is actually you. It's not a building anymore. It's you. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit begin to take up residence in us. And so you want to see and you want to know the beauty of God? Look at the person sitting beside you. There's the temple of God right next to you. Exposing to you all of God's beauty and His blessings and His benefits. Paul's saying that God's going to manifest His presence through the person sitting right next to you. We're short on time. Um, I'll close with this. What could be more exciting? What could be more exciting? New citizens, new family, new glorious presence through God and His people. The pursuit of this new construction established on Christ as the cornerstone. The pursuit of peace. The sharing of this new build. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank You that You have done away with the hostility that we could do nothing with. You have killed it. You have sent it away. You have crucified it on the cross. And what what a beautiful picture, Father. 
we in our own struggles with hostility would never in our wildest imagination invite our worst enemy, the person that we're hostile with, to into our home, to our table, to have a meal with us. And yet because of the brokenness of Christ's body and His bloodshed, You've done that which is most intimate. To show us your love. To show us your peace. To show us your grace. Would you help us to live into it? In Jesus' name, amen.